Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 15. John 15. I was so thankful to get to open up John's gospel last night and grateful at the privilege to do it again today and looking forward to doing it yet again tomorrow. So if you weren't here last night, the focus of what I'm hoping to spend our time together in God's word around is the subject of life with God. What is that? How does it start? How does it continue? Where is it going? These are all the questions we're seeking to ask and have God's word answer for us in these five times together. Last night we thought about how life with God originates in Jesus. And for this time together, we're going to have Jesus lead us through an evaluation. An evaluation of our life and especially our life with God. So I'm going to pray, ask for God's help, then we'll open and read John 15 together. Let's pray. Lord, as we just sang to you, we repeat, light of God, Holy Spirit, breathe in the dark, bring life through Jesus Christ. We know your word is a a lamp to our feet, and more than that, it is contains for us, as the disciples said, the words of eternal life. So, Father, attune our ears and our hearts to what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you know about plants? Have you ever gardened? I assume many of you probably have. I got my first try at gardening in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I learned how to plant a seed and care for it and watch it grow. wonder if you've ever grown something you could eat from seed to fruit or vegetable. You know, learning how to garden, as you may have, I learned that in it there's an opportunity to invest and witness the miracle of growth over time. I spent time nearly every day observing in my vegetable garden how plants grow. And in that time, I realized that when you spend that much time around plants, you learn some valuable lessons about life. Which I suppose is why Jesus Christ often used agriculture to illustrate his teaching. And one of the most memorable times that he does this is in our passage that we're opening now in John 15, verse 1 through 8. I'm going to read that now. Would you read along with me as you have your Bibles open? Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So let's engage ourselves in Jesus' illustration. Imagine yourself in a vineyard. Imagine the trellis structure with the vine growing up and over. And all along that vine, there are these branches shooting off in either direction. Some branches have leaves. Others have leaves and fruit. Now, in the vineyard, picture a man walking down row after row with pruning shears, scissors in his hand. He examines the branches, the ones that don't have fruit, he clips off, discards. The branches that have fruit, he carefully reaches in, snips off any growth on that branch that isn't contributing to the growth of the fruit. This is the picture that Jesus paints for his disciples as they walk with him, go with him towards his arrest and crucifixion that is just days away. He has recently told them that he is about to leave them, promising that he will return to bring them to where he's going. Jesus assured them already that as he leaves, he's going to send his Holy Spirit to be with them. And there will be a period of time before Jesus returns, when they will need to live without Jesus' physical presence with them. This life without Jesus, yet with Jesus, is the focus of John chapter 15. My aim in this time is for us to see that that vineyard is a parable for your life and for mine. We are in this picture. And seeing ourselves here, my hope and my prayer is that we would evaluate our lives as God does and seek to be fruitful for him and for his glory. To help us locate ourselves in this vineyard and evaluate our lives as God does, I'm going to ask us three questions based on this text. This will be the outline of my talk. Three questions. First, What kind of branch are you? What kind of branch are you? Second, what branches have fruit? What branches have fruit? And third, what will happen to the branches? What will happen to the branches? First, first question, what kind of branch are you? Let's read verse one and two again. I am the true vine, And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So as we pictured that vineyard and we imagined the man walking down the rows with scissors in his hand, that gardener, that vine dresser in Jesus' image is God, the father, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, And he walks the vineyard, and he evaluates the branches, those branches which represent us. And the evaluation he makes is simple. 
No fruit, he cuts it off. Fruit, he carefully prunes. So in God's evaluation, what kind of branch are you? In any day and age, some kind of personality test is always in vogue. So most recently, I think, if I'm keeping up with the times, it was the Enneagram, but there are so many others. I think personality tests can be useful. I don't think they are conclusive by any means. I'm fascinated, though, by why they continue to be so popular. I think the prevalence of the personality evaluation tools speaks to a desire people have to both understand who they are and to have that validated and recognized by others. And one potential consequence of these tools and these tests is that someone might conclude that because you are a certain type, others should not expect you to be a different type. So I am a one. I will never be an eight. But these tools can cause us to demand that other people's evaluations of us match who we understand ourselves to be. Which is different from what Jesus says here. Who in the vineyard determines the standard of evaluation? It's the Father, isn't it? What is his evaluation based on? Fruit or no fruit? We live in God's vineyard. We are here, all of us, branches that are not autonomous life forms. God made us for a purpose. You can truthfully and conclusively answer the question, who am I? But you cannot do it without first asking, who has God made me to be? Your value and your purpose are derived from God. Now, many of us would admit that at some level, we really care what other people think about us. If you're honest, I think all of us would at some level agree that we care what people think about us. We are regularly living with the hope that we can earn, receive, curry the approval and positive evaluation of others. I found a, really, a book very helpful on this subject by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God Is Small. He says we do this because our hearts fear man. Fear man. But the shortcoming in this ambition can be seen as we return to the vineyard. You see, in the vineyard, this fear of man, you know, evaluating ourselves on what other people think of us all the time, this, this fear of man, it effectively looks like branches looking at other branches to try to meet their approval. You know, I'll try to make bigger or smaller leaves. I'll be a more rigid or droopy branch. All the while, God cares about something else entirely. Fear of man operates from the deception that there is no vine or vine dresser and that we are all independent, autonomous branches and it doesn't matter if any fruit comes from it. 
in all our striving for others' approval, do we realize that it has nothing to do with fruit bearing for God? The fear of God, however, is a heart posture that cares most about who God has made you to be and desires to be that as much as you possibly can. And that's the growth God aims at in your heart, Christian, as he prunes you or disciplines you, as Hebrews 12 talks about. He removes unhelpful distractions. He adjusts misplaced dreams. He brings unexpected trials. Why? So you can experience more and more of life in his love. Jesus' words prompt us to check our lives for fruitfulness because the Father evaluates our lives on the basis of fruit. What kind of branch are you? Are you bearing fruit or not? Well, you might ask, how would I possibly know? How do I know if I'm bearing fruit? Well, that leads us to our second question. What branches have fruit? Look at verse 3 through 5. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So maybe we think if you tell me the fruit God is looking for, I could work on growing it. Well, what is this fruit exactly? Well, we'll see more about that in our next session. But in short, it's self-sacrificial love for others. When you go home tonight, evaluate these kinds of areas of your life to see if there's fruit. Your job, your parenting, the way you use your money and your time to see if the fruit of self-sacrifice appears on those branches of your life. But before Jesus even outlines the fruit God is looking for, he addresses a more immediate evaluation that we should make. To what is the branch connected? Where does the branch receive the life needed to grow that fruit? In checking for fruitfulness... We must first check to see if our life is connected to and dependent on Jesus. In God's vineyard, Jesus is the vine. Jesus states it twice. Every branch depends on the vine to receive what's needed to grow fruit. Only Jesus-connected and Jesus-dependent lives bring about the fruit that God is looking for. Although he will soon be absent physically, the disciples' lives are still going to be just as dependent on Jesus as when he was with them. Jesus wants them to know, as you have begun with me with you, so you must remain. Remain is another way you could read the word abide that shows up here seven times in eight verses. 
These verses are about the importance of persevering in life with God. Jesus says, I'm going, yet through my spirit I will remain in my people. And you show you are mine by remaining in me. Christian, think on the spiritual reality of your present circumstances. Today, Jesus has taken up residence in you. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, doesn't that make you breathe out a sigh of relief? The one who powers the universe has made his home in your heart. The one who is your shield and your refuge, your shepherd and your savior, savior, your redeemer and your king, your friend, the one who faithfully loves your soul. He remains in you through every season, every trial, every heartache, every hurt, every suffering, every setback. At the end of chapter 15, Jesus will explain that not everyone will like the fact that he is the vine and they are the branches. Despite how good Jesus is and the life he provides, some just do not want to be dependent on him. With all the flaws, with all the weaknesses, with all the inadequacies, with all the brokennesses of our world, you would think that we would welcome Jesus' invitation to be entirely dependent on him. But in our own sin and twisted up way of thinking, we try so hard to be independent. We anxiously toil to make a name for ourselves. We worry and plan to provide a lifestyle. We get agitated and irritated when things don't go how we try to make them go. But again, Jesus is lovingly reminding us, you cannot get life without God. Listen to Jesus telling us the truth, telling you the truth. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Well, you might say, I've done a lot without Jesus. Are you sure? Are you sure? Who was it that made you? Who decided to give you talents and abilities that you've used to your benefit when others just as deserving as you didn't receive the same did you or i plan at our conception to have our life go the way it went that led to opportunity and open doors no of course not in his kindness each of us are drawing breath from god today so that we might again hear him invite us to receive eternal life in jesus We can be busy with a lot of things. And still Jesus says if we do them without him, we're wasting our lives on things that don't matter. Only the things Jesus empowers in us are the things he cares about that matter eternally, that last. The rest is like dust. The Bible says it's like a mist that vanishes in the wind. So be careful to discern the difference between a busy life and a fruit-bearing life. 
they are not always the same. I was telling Lydia Howell last night how the Lord used a season of depression for three years in my life to reveal to me that I still wasn't quite clear what it meant to live entirely dependent on the Lord. And so in that trial, which I'd be happily talk to you more about, and maybe even may refer to in coming sessions, in that trial, he taught me. He taught me things that I still benefit from. A lot of this series came out of that. But I remember then, and I'm reminded of it again as I say it to you, uh, I need it then and I need now regularly to confess, and maybe you do too, and repent of self-dependence. How we wake up many days with the idea that we will plan with our wisdom, work with our strength, advance with our gifts, and thrive on our health and wealth. Perhaps you, like me, need to confess to Jesus and repent of trying to attach your branch to false vines that promise life, but do not give it. You know, you can plug a cord into an electrical socket, but unless the power's on, nothing's going to happen. We plug our hearts all the time into the promise of money, the promise of love from another, the promise of pleasure, the promise of comfort, the promise of happiness, the promise of power, the promise of praise. But there's no power for life in any of these. And the longer we're connected to them, our souls wither waiting for what will not come. Jesus is the true vine. And we truly are branches. This is very helpful for us as we look to the future. As his church, we want our whole approach to growth to be built around Jesus, our vine. So Grace Baptist Church, whatever it is you endeavor to be or do, whatever mission or ministry you embark on, however your size or your budget increases or decreases, remain in Jesus. The life of Jesus in your church is the life of your church. So how do we as individual Christians and as a church abide or remain in Jesus? Well, Jesus says we remain in his word. Twice in this passage, in verse 3 and verse 7, Jesus refers to his word. In verse 3, Jesus refers back to John 13, 10, when he washed his disciples' feet and promised that, pronounced them clean. In just a few hours, in just a few days, Jesus will soon die on a cross. His sacrifice that he gives through his blood will clear the guilt of sin against the holy God. His perfect righteous standing before his father would be given to sinners like us. And in exchange, Jesus will take his sin on himself and die under its curse. So Jesus' words of cleansing here are not empty platitudes and not merely reflecting physical realities. Jesus' words, backed by his death and his resurrection, carry the power to render stained, guilty, and dead sinners clean, cleared, and alive in Christ. 
The word of Jesus is the power of God to save and sustain us. His word is how life with God begins and continues. We do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If Jesus' word carries the power to bring life, it must also carry the power to sustain our life. And so in verse 7, Jesus says to remain in him is to remain in his word. This is why you're having a Bible conference. This is why every Sunday you gather around God's word. And especially around the words of Jesus that tell us the good news. This is why we want our conversations with each other to be word-based, to be biblical. So I assume that you are regularly reaching out to each other for advice and wisdom And if you're not, perhaps that's another way we're not connecting to the vine. If if a brother or sister asks you this week or in the coming days and months, ask you for your opinion, what they would probably be most helped to hear is God's truth. Think of places where Jesus spoke to the heart of the matter that your friend is thinking through and then take them there and let your opinions Follow Jesus' truth. My prayer is that you will all remain in Jesus' words. That God's spirit would help us all to know God's word and to counsel each other with his word. That you will take this into discipling relationships and Bible studies and training opportunities That the word will guide the elders of this church as they seek to lead and to teach. That you will not tire of the simplicity of Jesus' vision for how we should live in him by remaining in his word. But instead that you would yearn to explore the scriptures for the life that they describe and offer in Jesus' name. If you're not currently reading the Bible with any regularity, let me encourage you to begin that. If you're not sure where to start, go to John. Start at the beginning. It would not be weird at all, by the way, if as you do that, you ask someone else here to do that with you. That would not be weird. That would be normal and probably helpful to them and to you. Maybe a peer, maybe somebody older than you, maybe somebody younger than you. We abide and remain in Jesus by remaining in his word. So see that our connection to God's word determines our fruit-bearing capacity. People who are dependent on Jesus and remaining in him through his word, those are the branches that bear fruit. So the life and growth of the fruit is not meant to be our main focus. Jesus actually takes responsibility for your fruitfulness. Because the power and the resources and the growth, this is what the vine delivers to the branch. 
If the life of Jesus is running through you, then there will be fruit. What makes us fruitful branches is our enduring connection to Jesus Christ. So we've been evaluating our lives from God's perspective as the master of the vineyard. I hope so far we've been able to assess what kind of branches we are and whether or not our life is connected to Jesus. So let's go on now to our third question that's raised by the text. What will happen to your branch? What will happen to your branch? Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I remember the first year that I grew tomatoes. Now, if you don't know, a tomato plant is actually a vine. And if you do nothing with it at all, it will grow along the ground and it will sprout lots and lots of branches. And not knowing any better, that's what I did the first time around. And so by the time tomatoes should have been appearing in the middle of summer, I had a giant mass of tomato branches and very little fruit. The second year, I took a different approach, thanks to the help of many YouTube videos that I found. I attached the vine to a pole, and I pruned all but a few of the branches, and the difference was incredible. The branches that remained were very fruitful, and if a branch sprouted that had no fruit, I would immediately cut it off, because the life of the vine was obviously not making it to that branch to bring about fruit. I don't know if you believe God will judge your life or not. And if you do, what standard he will use? I hope you come away from this text with more clarity about that. God evaluates us based on whether or not we're living connected to Jesus or rejecting the life he offers. Anyone who decides to live apart from Jesus is, in God's view, a dead branch, even if he or she looks incredibly religious on the outside. There is only death apart from God for those who have refused life from God. There is no life without God. If you want eternal life, it comes from God, and it happens with God. But for those who remain in Jesus... There is sustained life with God. That's why Jesus brings up the prayer in verse 7, right after he talks about remaining in his word. Unlike the branch that gets cut off, the branch that remains has full access to the life that comes from the vine. In chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples that he came to earth and is returning to heaven to bring them life with the Father. And even as he leaves them, Jesus is returning to the Father, and he is bringing their prayers with him. So now from his place in heaven, Jesus is acting as an intercessor for us, regularly speaking to God the Father on our behalf. 
And so as the Spirit here works in us and shapes us and shapes our desires for Jesus' life to be ours, we breathe out those desires to Jesus in prayer who combines our prayers with his own expressed desires and requests to the Father. And the Father hears our prayers united to the prayers of his Son and he says, I will do that. In prayer, we tell God our need for his life. And in Jesus, the Father answers with what we need for life with him. So you're going to see this all the way through this section of John. What you see in verse 7. Jesus will continue to highlight the absolute importance of word and prayer for remaining in him. We talked about the word earlier. Notice how the word sets the agenda of our prayers. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. What is the ask of the person whose heart is full of Jesus' words? What do they pray for? Won't it be prayers like his words teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, glorify your name. Bring your kingdom. Do your will. Give us what we need for today. Forgive us all our sins and we will forgive others. Keep us from falling into wickedness and sin. Fight and win against our spiritual enemies. You are the king God. You have power. And as you answer this prayer, please get the glory. Amen. So as you begin to pray from Jesus' words this week, take a few moments to align your desires to Jesus's. Picture Jesus at God's right hand, the one who gave his life to bring you into his eternal family. What does he want for you? He wants you to remain in him. He wants you to stay connected to him so that you will be with him. He and the Father want to give you everything you need to make that happen. What do you need? You need grace. You need faith. You need strength. You need endurance. You need increased love. You need wisdom. These are the wishes of the heart that wants to be with Jesus. And these are all the things he says he will gladly give. Church, prayer from God's word for God's will to be done. This is our part in the fruitfulness God will provide. So that you will remain in Jesus, pray together. Pray together. If you can, attend Wednesday prayer gatherings. Even if you can't do that, Find church members you live around or work near or go to school with and begin meeting up during the week to pray. And even if you can't do that in person, call somebody on the phone. If you would like to know a very tangible, helpful way you can serve this church, this is how. If you'd like one day to be a leader in the church, this is what it looks like to lead others in Jesus, leading them to pray. 
If you don't feel like you have much to give or how to prioritize what time to give to what, put prayer with others at the top of the priorities. Pray for your church to grow. Pray for our church to grow. Pray for the church to grow in life with God and each other. Pray as you get together with others for God to work among you for his purposes. Pray that you collectively would feel your dependence on God and be satisfied in him. Pray for God to bring his life to the lost through how he uses your life. This life of prayer that Jesus keeps emphasizing is an ongoing expression of our yearning for our Father's will to be done. And as verse 8 tells us, this is exactly how the Father answers our prayers. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In providing us Jesus and all that we need to remain in him, the father of our life is upheld as the God of life. He is glorified when his life in us through Jesus yields the fruit of life. So as we remain dependent on Jesus for life, the power of God comes through in how we live our lives for God. We often encourage each other to live for God's glory. We often feel the desire to be useful to that end in our lives. And I think we often think that means we need to come up with a big idea or a big venture to bring God big glory. But God says he works for his glory through his means and methods. Do you want to glorify God in your life? Just remain in Jesus. Continue in word and prayer. And watch as the life of God in your branch bears much fruit. John 15, 1 through 8 raises these three questions for us. What kind of branch are you? What branches have fruit? And what will happen to your branch? God, the vine dresser, walks the vineyard, evaluating, looking for fruit. As he walks, what does he see when he comes to you? Let's pray. Lord, we're so adept at depending on life or what we call life from other things. We're, we're aware before you that we might, we might be doing that right now and can't even see it. Or some of us are finding that though we've tried that, we have come to an end of it. And while we're thankful that you're bringing truth and clarity, we still need to know what it means to be connected to you, the vine. And some of us are just weary and tired and the cares of the world and the length of life and the trials that come with it make it seem like the simple call to remain in you can't be all there is. God, for all of us, wherever we are, 
We pray by the power of your spirit that you would pick up your word, your powerful and life-giving word, and through these words read and spoken, that you would draw each of us, that our branches of our lives would not only be connected to Jesus, but that they would be used by you and through the life you provide to bear much fruit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.